0: If we haven't met, my name is Stephanie. It's lovely to be sharing this Sunday with you. Um, And I want to start with a question Um, How do you respond when someone exercises authority over you? Yes, exactly. Um, So a lot of us maybe have not had the best experiences with all authority. And if you're like me, the word authority and submission kind of trigger fight or flight in you. (laughs) And you want to just run the other way. Um, But what I want us to do today is open ourselves up to a fresh understanding of authority. Because fair warning, we're going to be talking about that this morning. And we're going to be talking about a passage in Corinthians that is confusing, complicated, and not always comfortable. But it's really important for us to look at these passages because if we only stick with the parts of the Bible that make sense to us, not only would we not have a lot, um, but we would lose the power and purpose of God's word to shape our lives, to guide us, and encourage us. So we have to face the complicated passages. We have to face words that come with personal connotations that we may not feel comfortable with. Um, and I would be doing a disservice to you to water that down and talk about guidance or leadership. We're talking. About About authority this morning. So with that in mind, let's open our Bibles up to 1 Corinthians 11. We're reading in 1 Corinthians as a part of our Essential Matters series as we look at Paul's letter to the Corinthian church and the relevancy of what he's speaking into for us today because it is incredibly relevant. So we're going to start and take this passage in (laughs) halves because there's a lot here. Um, And we're going to start in chapter 11, verse 1. Let's read together. The words are now on the screen. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his heads. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her heads. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved off, she should cover her heads. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman come from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. (laughs) Oh, that's why I warned you. So uh, we have so much having gone on in this passage. There's a lot of stuff theologically, scripturally that we could dive into. But for the sake of our time today, um, we're going to try to get into this passage as much as we can and still do justice to it. Now, to bring some context in to those of us who aren't used to head coverings, as that's not a major part of the Western culture, is what Paul is speaking into here is that he was finding when the body of Christ, Christians were coming together, there was some confusion as to how they should pray, prophesy, and worship together. They were confused because a lot of them were coming from the Jewish tradition. So, as he talks about the men covering their heads, he calls that a dishonor to God because what was happening here is these men. Men who originally were Jewish, have this Jewish heritage, but have accepted Christ and are now Christians, are holding on to traditions that they're used to. They think, well, this is how God is supposed to be worshipped. So they're holding on to this thing that Paul is saying, you don't need to hold on to anymore. You are free in Christ. And then on the other end of that spectrum, you have the women who are letting their hair flow free because they have found freedom in Christ that their culture does not offer them. So they're running with it. They're taking it and they're going. And Paul's saying, hold on now, keep context in mind. Because in the Middle Eastern culture, it was often done that when women were giving praise or worship to a pagan idol, they would throw their hair down or shave their heads. So Paul's speaking into the context of when you do that, that struggles to differentiate you from those who are worshiping other gods. So wear a head covering. Now, as you can see, that's not something that we do in this church, as I don't have my head covered. Um, But something that this relates to for us in today's um, context is sin. It's really easy for us to go from one end of the polarization to the other with sin. We have Christians and churches who hold on so tightly to what sin is and the fact that we're all sinners that when they go out on the streets, they picket, they scream, they tell people to turn or burn, and there is no love in what they're speaking. They are holding on so tightly out of fear of getting it wrong that they just lose all the love. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Christians in churches who say, It's okay, there's grace. They are saying things to scriptural things that the Lord has put instructions in place to help us, to grow us, to keep us safe and healthy. And they say, No, that's okay, you can ignore that bit. Jesus still loves you. And the concept of sin is completely lost. But without a concept of sin, there's no concept of the cross. And without the cross, there's no hope and new life. And so you can't go that far. So just as we often find ourselves trying to navigate how to be in the world but not of it, that's what Paul's speaking to the Corinthians here in this text. He's trying to help them understand how to work within the world without letting it consume them. And he's highlighting the chaos and the division that it can bring. Now let's read the second half of this passage as Paul moves into another example starting in verse 17 He's talking about communion. He says in the following directives I have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good. in the first place I hear that when you come together as a church there are divisions among you and to some extent I believe it No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Verse 25, uh, 23. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass to you. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy matter will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So what Paul is addressing here is something that he's noticed, a division between the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor. In Jewish culture and Middle Eastern culture, those who are wealthy, merchants, landowners, they didn't really have to work. They didn't have regular hours. But then there were the working class and even the enslaved, because that was something that was really prevalent in those times, who would work until crazy hours. And then they would come in and they would find their brothers and sisters in Christ, who they were supposed to have a meal with, already full. So what Paul was noticing is that the communion, which is supposed to unify us as one body in Christ, be a beautiful moment, shared all together. You had this inner circle, the wealthy, who were having their fill, and then you had those who were working, who would come in exhausted, already feeling the pressure of all that life had given them, and they couldn't even share in this moment. There wasn't enough for them. A way that we see that in our society today is privilege. And it makes me wonder, as brothers and sisters in Christ, how we can continue to be silent in privileged systems when there are those that are part of our family, a part of the one body who have nothing. And I say that as someone who benefits from privilege and systems. But what Paul is speaking into here, our relevant context for that, is that we cannot continue to be one body, undivided and honoring Christ and say I don't see what the problem is. I'm taken care of. When our brothers and sisters rightfully say, I am barely getting by. I need more. I'm not a part of what you are enjoying. It is so important for us to appreciate what Paul is saying here because we can toss out you know, and say, well, I don't have to worry about head coverings. We have communion and we take it all together, it's fine. But actually, it's really relevant for the situations that we're facing today. And it's encouraging us individually and as a church family to be better. So we have these two passages in Corinthians 11. And what Paul is navigating here for the Corinthians and for us is what happens when we have culture as our authority versus Christ as our authority. When we have culture as our authority, we live in fear. But when we have Christ as our authority, we live in freedom. I don't know about you, but I find it harder and harder to not offend people these days. (laughs) Is anyone else terrified of offending people? Terrified of getting it wrong? I am so scared to look back and find myself on the wrong side of history because I am so desperate not to hurt anyone. I am so desperate to do it right and do it right by God. But that fear is not how we are meant to live. There is more for us and we have Christ because we are meant to live in freedom. We live in a world where the opinion of the times is always changing. And we are constantly told that if we hold on to things that we are wrong and that we're harming people. But at the same time, if we think about letting everything in, what do we have? So we find the church polarized, Christians polarized, where you have one camp who holds on so tightly to tradition and practices and it shuts its doors. And it says, we're right, you're wrong, us versus them, us versus the world. But the problem with that is that while you may preserve your faith, it will rot because you're locked in a building with people who think the same as you. So when a genuine challenge comes around, you're only going to be affirmed. No one's going to have a healthy discussion to grow, to develop, to reconsider what we know. And you are not going to be able to love your neighbor because you've locked the doors. Scripture tells us to go and tell We are called to leave the safe space where everyone agrees with us, and it's really lovely, and take the divisive word of God out there. So you've got that camp that shuts the doors. And then we have the camp that flings them open and lets everything in. Out of a desire to not keep Jesus from anyone, not to offend anyone, out of a fear of being irrelevant— of not matching at the pace of our culture, we open the doors wide and everything comes in. And then all of a sudden we're carrying so many different truths and opinions that we're not carrying anything really anymore. And we realize that the scriptural foundational truths become watered down. The scripture is very clear. There is one way and it is Jesus. And the restrictions that the world views as things to hold us back are actually loving, loving calls to obedience, to protect us, to nurture us, to grow us. So when we say all goes and all is well, that is not true. And we are doing more harm than we would do by being divisive. Jesus was one of the most contentious people in history. People are still arguing about him. And he died a really long time ago he's offensive, he is. And so we have to find a way to live under his authority because if we live under culture's authority, we're never gonna share Jesus or we're gonna water him down. And either way, we miss something and the world misses something. And I don't want to, I don't want to leave anyone to miss something. When Christ is our authority, we live in complete freedom. And there's three things that that means, how that kind of works out in our lives. The first is that we are relieved of the burden of being right. (laughs) I feel like there's some of us in the room and online today that are so scared of being wrong. You just want to do right by people and by God, and you just don't want to make a mistake. And I get that. I feel that for myself as well. But the beauty of being under Christ's authority is that by doing so, we recognize who is Lord. As Paul is saying in this chapter, he says in verse 12, after all this distinction on head coverings, after all this about male and female dynamic, he says in verse 12, he says, but everything comes from God. So he's outlining this back and forth and he's giving instruction, but he puts it under this covering of God's authority. Because to have Christ as our authority and to really experience that freedom, it's us holding our hands up and recognizing, I'm going to get it wrong. (laughs) I'm a sinner. I've been perfect. But you, Lord, are always good. You are outside time and circumstances, and you are unchanging. Culture says that we have to be right. Because if you don't, you're out of (laughs) here. You have to get it right. And there's so much pressure to do that. But God says, I am right. Let me be right for you. And there is such beautiful freedom to breathe in that. The second thing is that when we have Christ as our authority, it sets us up on an eternal foundation. Culture is always changing. What is right today will be wrong tomorrow. There will be a new movement, a new set of stories, a new expose, and people will ask you again to reassess everything you hold dear. <laughs> It's exhausting. (laughs) But Christ set us on an eternal foundation. Culture says, look at now. Keep up to date with now. Christ says, look at forever. Because I have given you a cornerstone that does not shake, does not move. The scripture talks about building our houses on sand or on the rock. And Christ has become our rock. So that when we feel time start to shift and culture start to shift, we can say, that's fine, because I'm not standing on that. It is a future promise, an eternal promise. And what a relief that even if I don't get it right right now, I am right with the Lord forever. And the final thing is that we are freely given grace under Christ's authority. God is not going to cancel you. We joke about that and people argue about cancel culture, which I get. I get the strong desire for justice. That Those who are in authority and in positions of influence should not be allowed to have a platform where they can sport hate and harm and where they can do damage to people who matter because everyone matters. So I get, I get the desire to cancel people, but at the same time, our culture has made it this fear-mongering thing where if you don't agree with what's being said, you can be silent out of fear of being canceled. Well, the incredible thing is that where culture says you're going to be canceled, God says, it's okay, there's grace. There's grace. And even further than that, there's the Holy Spirit, which dwells within us and allows us to be transformed on a daily basis. So when I get it wrong, it is not the end of me. You are not over when you mess up. You are still allowed to come before the Lord to pray and say, Spirit, teach me where the next step is redirect my path. There is such incredible freedom in not having to be afraid of being canceled and to know that it's okay because God already knows you're not going to get it perfectly right. That's why he sent Jesus. The invitation that we have today is to accept Christ as authority. I'm going to share a little story. Um, Growing up, At a very young age, I decided just because you're an adult or you have a title does not mean I respect you. (laughs) So that meant teacher, parent, policeman, just because you told me to do something did not mean I was going to listen. In fact, if I disrespected you, I would do the complete opposite. Um, My parents are going to get extra reward in heaven for putting up with me. Um, But I remember at a family reunion, a really big extended family on my mom's side, and we were having an big get-together at a park. There was this huge river that ran through it, um, a nice bank. It was really deep. um, And I remember at five years old, playing along the side of the river, and a relative, second, third cousin, walked by and told me, you need to get away from there because it was deep. I was only five years old. I could barely swim. And I allegedly stuck my tongue out at him. um, So he left. And so in ignoring that authority, what ended up happening is, after playing for a short while, I fell in. And I can remember just the silence as I went under. I remember feeling afraid and opening my eyes and I couldn't see anything. It was black and like kind of green, just mossy water. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And I remember being afraid to swim in any direction because I was disoriented. I didn't know where the land was. And then I remember putting my hands up thinking, well, if I can stick my hands up out of the water, I can touch the edge. I couldn't reach the edge. (laughs) And my hands were just drifting in the air. And then everything went black. The next thing I remember is being surrounded by my mom and all my aunts (laughs) wrapped in a towel. My cousin had pulled me out, had seen my hands sticking out of the water. And as I was praying over this word, I just felt the Lord bring that memory to mind, the fear of being underwater, the helplessness of having hands out in the air with nothing to grab onto, and the disrespect of authority that had said, Steph, come away from there, not to be mean, but out of love, (laughs) to keep me safe and dry. And how by ignoring that authority, I had become in danger And I just feel like God is telling us today that there are people drowning, that the church is drowning, and that in some areas of our lives, we are drowning as well, because we've ignored the Lord's authority. The world has said they don't need it. The church can't figure out what to do with it. And we have areas in our lives that we think, no, I can pull myself up out of this. I don't need a handout. And we're drowning. And I am so sick and tired of watching people drown. And I really hope that you feel the same because I feel that the Lord is saying that by bringing in his authority, by coming under Christ's authority, what we're doing is we're allowing him to reach in and pull people out. We're not just giving people affirmations and high fives while they drown. I'm so happy you believe that. Well done. I don't want to offend you, so I'm just going to agree with you. We're stepping aside knowing it's not us that saves, it's him and we're letting him reach down and pull them out. We're holding our own hands up, and instead of seeking to pull ourselves out of the situation, be our own savior, we're allowing him, we're crying out to him, Jesus, help me. And I feel that that's a question for us today. Where has other authorities, culture, and fear come into our lives? Where are we drowning? Where is our world drowning, our church drowning, that we can encourage one another with the Lord's authority? And as we come together to bring this to a close, we come to how, how to come under this authority. And I feel the invitation for us today is come to the table. As Paul shared in his word, talking about what it means to come to the table, there is nothing better that represents the authority of Christ. Those three things of what it means to recognize who God is. I'm a sinner and you are Lord. To recognize what Christ did, which was sacrifice himself for us and rise again, and then to submit to that and say, now and every day, I'm opening myself up to be transformed by you. My life is not my own. When we give our life up, we gain so much freedom. And I know that doesn't make sense and our culture, tells us that the more that you obey something, the less freedom you have. But there is no other authority in the world that would die for you. There's not, even the people that love you, like, and, and even if someone were to put their life on the line for you, once that life is over, that's it. There is nothing that is as steadfast, as continual, and as an open of an invitation as this right here. That's all that's on this table. Not condemnation, not fear, freedom. What would our lives look like if we started every day at this table saying, I'm giving you authority today, Christ. If we took every decision of changing schools and jobs, of what to do in relationships, Lord, what do you have? I submit it to your authority. Or if we took the changes in culture, God, this person is asking me about their identity and I don't even know where to start. I don't have the right answer. What do you say, Lord? I think that it would bring an incredible amount of change for us, for our world's, And I think there'd be a lot more people around the table at the end of the day. Let's come under his authority, submit our lives to him, and receive the freedom that's waiting for us. In a moment, we're going to do as Paul instructs in this passage, and we're going to take time to reflect. As we read in verses 27 to 29, Paul tells us how to approach the table. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. We want to recognize the authority and not take this lightly. And use this as an incredible opportunity to relieve ourselves out from under anything else that is guiding us, that is asking us to submit and saying, only you, Lord. You are the only one. So as we take a moment um, to reflect and pray, the band's going to come up and they're going to sing a song over us. And then we're going to take communion together, following in the rest of Paul's instructions. And I really want to encourage you to allow yourself to be ministered to by the worship team. So stay seated, reflect, and ask the Lord, what other authorities am I under, Lord? Where has fear started to drive me where you want to bring freedom? And if you already know where those places are, and as God begins to show you, it encourage you to just say, I give it all to you. I come under your authority because of who you are, how you love me, what you've done, and what you're still doing in me. So we're going to take a moment to do that together now. So let's bow our heads and all pray for us. God, there are no words to express just how wonderful you are. We thank you that you do not leave us to be under any earthly authority, but that, God, you've given us a way to come to you and say, have it all and be safe and secure. And we open our hearts and minds right now. We ask you, Lord, to show us any places where we have lived in fear. Lord, whether we've shut our doors or we've opened them to, God, we ask for you to reveal that to us so that you may be the reigning authority in our life. Show us the places we need to be relieved of the burden of being right. Reminded that you are an eternal foundation and be given and receive the grace that you so freely give. Speak to our hearts now, Lord. We are here for you. We want to hear from you, God. Speak to us now, we pray.
1: I'm giving you my heart and all that is within i lay it all down for the sake of you my king i'm giving you my dreams i'm laying down my rights i'm giving up my right for the promise of new I'm giving you my heart and all that is within. I lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new love. And I All the world holds it. I count it all as loss. With the sake of knowing you, the glory of your name, to know the lasting joy, even sharing in your pain. And now.
0: So we surrender everything we have to you, God. Yes. Father, we recognize you as our authority, as the one and only God who's made us, who's known us from the very beginning before we even existed, and knows everything that is to come the only one who is victorious through all things and the only one who sent Jesus to die on the cross for us and live again so that we could have hope. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you've done for us. And we gladly give you our lives knowing, knowing that when we do, there is so much more for us than if we held on to them ourselves. Yes. In a moment, we're gonna take communion together, both in the room as well as online. And as the elements are being passed out, we do have bread and cups, if you can flash your mind back to pre-COVID. However, there are also pre-packaged ones on the seat in front of you if you would prefer. You can take that up. And I just want to encourage everyone in the room um, the band's going to continue to play, and let's continue to pray into this word before we take all together. And those at home will let you know when we'll take all together. Thank you, Lord. It says for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's eat of the bread together now This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together now. For wherever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, we thank you for the open-ended invitation we have to come to this table and receive the gift of life and freedom and proclaim your death, Lord. We thank you that that is what you are offering us, God. And we submit to you, Lord, and we just say, Lord, we receive. We receive what you have done for us, Jesus, and what you continue to do in us, Holy Spirit. And as we take this communion together, we are saying, as one body in you, have your way. Have your way in us. Have your way in this family, Lord. We are here for you. And you and you alone are our authority. In your mighty name.